have you guys here with us this morning. Uh, I love being part of this church. I do. I love seeing some of you all the time, some of you some of the time. I just love all of that. Uh, it's good. It really is. Uh, and for those who are listening online, and I don't see you right now, I know you're listening, uh, and so we're just we're glad of that. We're um, happy that you're uh, joining with us, tracking with us as we uh, go through the Word. And so this morning, um, we're actually in part uh, two of a series that we started last week, and we're going to carry on from now till Easter. Uh, it's based on a series that I'd heard by Andy Stanley last year called 90, but it's just sort of loosely tied to the same idea of what would it be like to follow Jesus? Uh, and, and what can we learn from that? But before we get too far in, I, I just have a couple questions for you to help set the stage. Have you, um, have you ever thought about what you would be like if you had more money? Have you ever kind of just dreamed, this is what I'd be like if I had more money? What about if you had more influence? You know, or if you had more authority or more power? Uh, what, do you ever dream of what you might be like if you, uh, or what you would do if you had that kind of stuff? For instance, if you were the prime minister, I just actually want you to finish these sentences. If I was the prime minister, I would. I, I didn't say out loud. Last night, somebody screamed out, quit. Uh, not if you're Justin Trudeau. I'm saying if you, if you were the prime minister and you had the ability to make all the things, what would you do? Would you give all the Dutch people more money? Would you put less taxes on people who go to church every Sunday? Would you, uh, you know, what, what would you do? What would you do? If you were the boss of your, of your company, what would you do? I would give me a raise, right? What would you do if you were the boss? What would you do if you were the parent? They don't dare say a word. Smart kids in this place. What about you? What would you do if I was rich or if I had more money, I would? I'd be in Cuba right now. What would it be if I had more money? What if, what if I was bigger? If I was stronger? If I had the power, I would, dot, dot, dot. How would you fill in those blanks? And I want you to just, as you think about I hope you did. I hope you thought through some of those things. Because the question is this. Were you tempted to, um, in the things that you would do, were you tempted to, uh, to do things that would make life better for yourself? Were you tempted to make things um, better for yourself? Or were you tempted to do things for other people? And most of us, you know, when we're selfish or selfless, selfish seems to be the one we're tempted to do. Selfless is not, we're not often tempted to. And if we, if we do, you know, if we think we, you know, we are tempted to do that and, and then we actually follow through, we just treat that as like, oh man, I'm a good person, you know, like look at me. I actually did something for someone else. Um, but today we're going to talk about this idea of temptation. Um, what's the last temptation you've had? Because I know you've all been tempted. It's like, how does he know? I can read your minds. I don't know if you knew that. Learned that in Bible school. <laughs> They're all like, oh. What's the last time you, what's the, when's the last time you were tempted? Maybe it was right now. It's like, I'm getting out of here. <laughs> you know, we all have had temptations, but what the things that we are tempted with so often is tempted to be selfish. And so last week we started, started just talking about what it would be like to follow Jesus and asking ourselves this question. Are we actually following Jesus? Or are we following something that is called Christianity, but it's so, it's so undefined in what it really means? Or we think, we think Christianity is you know, showing up at a certain place on a Sunday, and, uh, but are we actually following Jesus? And we talked about that last week. We don't have enough time to go back into that uh, today, but you can, find, uh, you can find it online if you'd like. 
Um, last week, we just looked at where Jesus came onto the scene as an adult. Uh, there was a man named John. John was uh, baptizing people in water, and, and uh, as crowds came to him, he just kept pointing them to Jesus. Uh, he, he, he told them he, when the people came to him, he didn't say, hey, uh, here's a book that I want you to take home. It's called the Bible. You know, you should read it. Or, hey, here, I, I want you to, like, believe in some stories or believe in some, or, hey, I just want you to pretend. You just keep coming back here every Sunday and just, just pretend. He didn't do that. He just simply said, hey, look, (laughs) there's a real person, a real somebody that you can really see, really touch. This is the person who who this is all about. He's the Lamb of God. He came to take away the sin of the world. And Jesus said, I came to do something new. Uh, Andy Stanley put it this way, that there's a new covenant, a new command, and a new movement. So Jesus came and said, I'm going to do something brand new, a new covenant, a new command, and a new movement. And so last week, as we talked about, can you trust the documents that we're reading? Well, they wrote right in there historical things to say, hey, fact check me. I'm not writing stories. Luke said, I'm writing an accurate account. I've talked to eyewitnesses. I've thoroughly investigated everything. I want you to be able to know that what you're reading is true and you can trust it. And then we just read some stuff from people who actually follow Jesus. They literally follow Jesus around. And they, like Matthew, he actually heard what Jesus said and wrote it down. So you know the movies, they have a prequel that comes out after? It's kind of what today is. Today is kind of before what happened last week when when, uh, John saw Jesus and said, hey, look, there's the Son of God. Jesus had actually been baptized by John previous to that. And that's how he knew. Matthew wrote about it and said this in Matthew chapter 3. Then Jesus went from Galilee to the Jordan River to be baptized by John. Uh, But John tried to talk him out of it. It's like, no, I'm not going to baptize you. You should be baptizing me. He's like, this is kind of backwards. And Jesus was like, this is just the beginning of things that seem backwards. He's, he said to John, listen, we need to, we need to do uh, what God requires. And so um, John does baptize Jesus. And uh, it says in, in verse 16, after his baptism, because as Jesus came up out of the water, uh, the heavens were opened, and, and John saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on Jesus. And it's like a voice from heaven said, This is my dearly loved Son, who brings me great joy. And so John realized in that moment, what we talked about last week, that's the moment he knew that, wow, it's not just my cousin who had angels proclaim his birth. He's like, he's actually the Savior of the world. He's the Son of God. He is the Lamb of God. And so last week we talked about how John started telling people about that. But something happened before that. And uh, Matthew, who's an eyewitness follower of Jesus, wrote about it. Mark, who hung out with Peter uh, and also hung out with Paul, he actually wrote about it as well. And Luke, who talked to eyewitnesses, he wrote about this as well. And, and we've said before that we don't think of writing as being, wow, that's really, um, that's really incredible, because we do it all the time. You know, you could, I could tell, tell you right now, grab that piece of paper in front of you and take some notes which might, probably might, not, might not be a bad idea. Grab that piece of paper, take some notes. You can, you can just automatically do that. Back then, way, way more difficult. It's expensive to buy scrolls. You know, it was, it's a, it was a tedious thing to actually write stuff out. Uh, it wasn't like the ballpoint pen where the ink just kept flowing. It was, it was difficult. And they would write stuff down. And, and because most of the people couldn't read, when there was stuff that was written down, it had, it had credibility and it had an incredible authority that spoken words didn't have. And we have a little bit of that today. You know, when you talk to somebody, you make a deal with them, or they, you know, they say, hey, this is what we'll do. Sometimes we ask them this question, hey, can I get that in writing? Because in writing, it's like, okay, that means a little bit more than just hearing something spoken. I know of a couple who were, were saying they're going to start texting each other the, during, um, after the conversations they have because the husband just never remembers that they had those conversations. And so the wife is like, 
I have it in writing, right? Here's the text of what we talked about. That's a great idea. But they would write this stuff, and so Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they all wrote about different levels of, what, uh, to, of detail that they gave. Mark simply said that after Jesus came up out of the water, he was compelled by the Spirit to go into the wilderness. Uh, and so Jesus, he comes up out of the water, he's baptized, and he, instead of saying, hey, thanks, John, you know, I'll take it from here. Hey, thanks for, you know, recognizing who I am. Ta-da, I'm the Son of God. I'm going to, you know, I'm, I will take the fame that you have. You got all the crowds coming. I will gladly take the crowds with, to, to, to start following me, but he doesn't. It says he goes straight into the wilderness. And just a quick bunny trail, even Jesus had highs and lows in his life. Sometimes we don't think about that. And you know when we don't think about it is when we're going through highs and lows in our life. Just picture Jesus. Here he is. He has his baptism. I don't know if this happened at your baptism, but the heavens opened up. And the voice says, hey, this is my dearly loved son whom I'm well pleased. And then a day later, he's in the wilderness. And for many of you, you have those moments where there's those times with God where like, oh, it was just amazing. I felt like God talked to me. And then there's those moments where you're like, it's been a bunch of weeks, you know. I don't even think he exists anymore. He sure doesn't answer my prayers. I don't think he talks. I don't think he likes me much anymore. And it's like these low moments. Jesus went through them. We all go through them. It's not one of those, it's not a good reason to just quit. quit to say, yeah, I don't, I don't believe anymore. So Jesus is baptized. He goes into the to the desert, and no one follows him. No one, except for just one person, and and that's what we'll read about. Matthew chapter 4, verse 2. For 40 days and 40 nights, Jesus fasted, and he became very hungry. That's a really profound statement. (laughs) Jesus fasted for 40 days. Didn't eat for 40 days, and he got hungry. They're saying Jesus is human. He's human. Uh, uh, Back then, there was lots of people who thought he was God, but they didn't think he was human, because no human does what Jesus could do. And so they're like, oh, he's not, he's not really human. But he, the, the disciples, they kept saying, now this guy, he was human. He was real. Don't think we're talking about some, some angel or some superhero. We're talking about a real person. And it says in uh, the next verse, during that time, the devil or the diabolos came and said to him, if you're the son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. And maybe you know the story and like, ah, oh, I've heard this one before and you're about to check out. I would encourage you to keep listening. For some of you here this morning, you're like, I don't go to church. Are you going to try and make me believe that there's a devil? I'm not today, but I would like you to just keep listening for a minute. Um, the devil or, or evil personified is with Jesus in the, in the wilderness and begins to test his identity and say, hey, if you're the son of God, if you are who you say you are, why don't you turn these stones into bread? And that temptation or that test, you know, Jesus already knew who he was. He could have just said, um, weren't you at the river? Didn't you hear the, didn't you see the heavens open, hear the voice? I'm the son of God. He doesn't even do that. He simply, he simply says uh, these words. Um, Jesus told him, no, the scriptures say that people don't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And like, oh, that's kind of cool. He uses scripture. But what was Jesus saying? He's responding to what the devil's actual temptation was. The, the, the devil was saying to Jesus, Jesus, Use your power for your benefit. You know, you're hungry and you can speak. You spoke this whole world into being allegedly. Why don't you just speak some some stones into bread? You're the son of God. You can do it. Why don't you use your power for your benefit? And he's like, no, no, that's not why we're here. He says, I'm, gonna, I, I'm here to, to have a daily dependence, a daily trust in God. I'm not here for my own benefit. 
See, because they knew that here's a king coming for for a new kingdom. He's like, everybody uses their power for their benefit. The leader of Rome uses his power for his benefit. And Jesus is like, no, that's not, that's not how this is going to go. Then, then the devil in Matthew chapter 4, verse 5, it says this, Then the devil took him to the holy city, Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple. When I was a kid, I kind of always pictured it like, like Star Trek or whatever. They just got beamed over there. You know, all of a sudden Satan and Jesus beamed. And I always pictured it like they're on the tiniest little pinnacle point of, of a temple balancing up there. It's probably not how that went. Like, they probably walked there. They just spent some time walking to the, to the temple, and they went to the highest point of the temple, the highest wing, it says, the, the highest area of the temple. Uh, any of you afraid of heights? A little bit? I'm, I'm a little bit. I, like, uh, the, yesterday, a couple of us were doing some siding on my chimney, and it's like, I don't know, it's like 35 feet up. I like to say 40 because it just feels cooler. But we were like, we were up there in a lift, and I was like a little bit wavy, and the guy I'm with, he's like looking down. He's like, I don't feel so good. I'm like, just don't fall, right? And, and we're, we're looking down at this spot. And I'm like, man, all of a sudden the lift moves a little bit, and I'm grabbing onto the sides. I'm like, that just looks so far down. Well, Jesus uh, and, and uh, the devil, it says, went to the highest point of the temple. Well, the highest point of the temple, there was a number of different places, but Josephus, who was a, a historian, um, Jewish historian, he wasn't a Jesus follower, but he wrote about Jesus. He also wrote about things in Israel. He wrote about the temple, and he said, if you stood on that southeast corner of the temple, at the top of that, and looked down, he said it was so far you couldn't see the bottom. And what it, what it meant is you couldn't make out what was happening down. It was that far. And, and here he, said, he actually said, if you stood there too long, you would get giddy. Uh, we changed that word. We use the word for, like, dizzy. That's that mean. You, wouldn't, you couldn't stand there and look down very long. Well, here's... Um, Jesus and, and Satan standing on the edge, looking way, way down. And you can hear Satan say to him, hey, just, he, Satan begins to quote scripture and says to him, um, hey, if you're the son of God, you know, because you didn't tell me you were last time, but if you were, why don't you jump off of this cliff? He says, because you know what? The scripture says, the word says this, that, that God will order his angels to protect you and they'll hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. He starts quoting Psalm 91. Jesus would have known Psalm 91. He says, hey, you just jump. God's going to protect you. Think of it, Jesus. You know, at the river, you know, that, that, sure, that was pretty cool that the heavens opened, but there's only a few people there. The temple's full of people. If you jump off of here and you, you get off the ground at the very bottom and you dust yourself off and you survive this, you're going to be instantly famous. Can you picture it? You are like going to be a famous, famous person. People are going to just flock towards you. And Jesus simply uses God's word again and says, listen, the scriptures also say you must not test the Lord your God. What is he doing? He's responding to Satan's actual test, which is saying, hey, why don't you use God for your benefit? Why don't you use God's word for your, why don't you use his promises for your benefit? Satan wasn't successful in in, uh, tricking Jesus with this test, but I can tell you he's been successful with a lot of people, potentially, possibly even in this room with this. Where the thought is that you can just use God for your benefit. Do you know that modern North American Christianity, a lot of it is, is this temptation? I'll use God for my benefit. Things where you hear, if you just take a scripture and you believe it, if you believe it enough, then God's got to do it. You know, that's kind of kind of what it is. God will come through for you. For some, you know, you've that's the reason you left church. You watch the People on TV saying, give. Hey, there's a verse in the Bible that says, if you give, 
to my ministry, then God has to open up the heavens and pour out so much blessing, you can't contain it. So much blessing, I can't contain it. And all I got to do is give some money to you? I'm in. And they give and they even have songs. Give and they'll be giving back to you. Press down, shake it together and running. Oh, no, you didn't see that one? I don't know what's wrong with today. Um, but he says, he says, you know what? If you give, you'll, you'll get. All you got to do is, is this. Or maybe you've heard these ones. If you pray enough, if you can just pray enough, you can get God to do what you want. If you just have enough faith, if you'll just believe enough, you can, you, you, you know, God will heal you. That's a real famous one. God will do it if you, if you just have enough. If you have enough, if you can believe enough. Or, you know, or, hey, just believe. If you just believe, you can have whatever you ask. That's what Jesus said. Okay, I'm going to believe that, you know, Brian's going to give me his new truck. I believe it. I got faith. We'll see how much I got. <laughs> do you know what though that's that thought that if we just believe then god's gonna god's gonna do it and jesus was saying to satan you cannot manipulate god that is not what this is the second the second the moment that you take scripture and say hey god you have to do this because this is what your word says that's no longer christianity that's paganism that's magic that's like i'm going to use these incantations of if i say this this scripture over and over enough god's going to do something for me that's not christianity That's not the idea of I'm following you. And so Jesus came to the planet and said, let let me tell you what God's really like. The pagan gods are like that. The pagan gods are up there. You know, they're not real, but the people believe that they're up there with their arms crossed and you've got to do enough sacrifices. You've got to appease them. And then they'll be like, hmm, thank you for the lovely sacrifice. I'll have another. And, you know, you have another sacrifice. Like, okay, thank you for the sacrifices. Now I will bless your crops. Or now I will let you get pregnant. Or now I will make sure that you're healed or whatever. He's like, that's not God. He's like, the, our God is not like that. He says, God is, let me just tell you what God's really like. He's, he's, he's a heavenly father, like a perfect heavenly father that all you have to do is ask. Any parents here have kids that just come up to you and ask? Sure they do. That's what your kids do. He's like, My kids actually ask me for stuff that is not good for them. Dad, can I just have one more candy? You've had three since, since you know, you brushed your teeth for bed. You know, I'll brush my teeth again. Please, Dad. Please, 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 please. Like, go ask your mother, right? Like, they'll ask for stuff. Dad, can I please have bonus screen time? You've had bonus screen time. I know, but can I just have a little bit more screen time? No, I don't want your brains to turn to mush, you know? Sometimes they'll be like, okay, fine. You can have a little bit of, they can talk us into it. But he's saying simply, you know, if you're asking a perfect heavenly father, I want you to picture him as perfect. So when he says no, he's saying no because it's for your good. That there's going to be times where you ask God for things and the answer is no. He's saying, but there's lots of times where the answer is yes. And either way, you can know that he's good. You can be convinced of that. That's what, that's what God is like. And he's like, you can't manipulate him for you, for your benefit. He's like, that's not Christianity's. And, and as he described Jesus um, Jesus described God as like, he's not like a king up in heaven with his arms crossed. He's like a king of a completely different kingdom. He's not like that. Two tests, the third one, final one. The final one kind of just again shows what Jesus is talking about. I'm not going to use my power for my benefit. I'm not going to use God for my benefit. And the last one, maybe before we get there, let me just ask this question. How many, um, or, or why do you think it is that so many powerful people go off the rails? 
Why is it that when you read the news about powerful people, rich people, people with lots of influence, that their lives are like train wrecks? They, they go off the rails for some reason, morally or ethically or financially. They do things and you're like, huh, wh- why is that? Why do we tend to think that we would be better off if we had more money or if we had you know, more authority or if we could just climb the ladder a little bit further? Why do we think we would be better when we rarely see that around us? Where do things like bullying come from? Where somebody says, oh, because I'm bigger than you, I can just, I can make you do what, what I want you to do. Where does harassment come from? You know, I'm, I've, <laughs> I decide whether you're going to still work here or not, so, you know, you just have to live with it. Where do things like extravagant, extravagant consumerism come from? Or greed, where it's like, just buy and buy and buy and buy and buy. Well, because I make a lot of money, I get to spend a lot of money. On me? Where does arrogance come from where people look down their nose at other people? Why is it that the statement made a couple, a, years and years and years ago by a guy named Lord Acton, he said, power corrupts? Why is that true? He also said, because they, they challenged him and said, hey, the king and the pope, you got to treat them differently He's, because they have absolute power. Well, he said that, you know, all power tends to corrupt and absolute power corrupts absolutely. Why, why are those true? Why are those so often true? Lord Acton wrote a letter and started with this, great men are almost always bad men. Because really it's kind of rare to see people who have incredible wealth, incredible power, power, incredible authority who don't abuse that. We tend to abuse that. This, uh, this, week, I, this week I had an interesting thing. I, was, I, went to, um, I had to have a meeting in Cayuga. And so I stopped at Haldeman Motors, get my oil changed there. And then they said they could use one of their offices to have this meeting. And so I was like, oh, that's cool. I'll have the meeting while my oil change is being done. And we got to go in John Edelman's office. And I'm like, yeah, I know. He owns Haldeman Motors. That was pretty cool. And as I got into the office, they said I could sit in the big seat. And so I sat in the big seat. And it was like it leans back. And you look over the desk. And I'm like, wow, it's got a fireplace. I'm like, yeah, I was like, this is pretty, pretty cool. I'm like, we're going to build a church building sometime soon. I would like an office like this, right? I was like, so I'm, I'm sitting there, and the people who are, who are having the meeting with are sitting across the table from me, and as we're, as we're chatting, I, I just started feeling different. You know, we were talking about how there were some things going on, and we might have to confront some people, and they were saying, ah, you know, we don't, we don't really know what we should probably say. I'm like, I'll tell them. No problem. I will just go up there. I will let them know. I'll say it. No problem. You know what? No problem at all. And I was like, I-, I know exactly what I'll say. And I told them. And I'm like, okay, okay, fine. Then we got a phone call. It was my car's ready. I'm like, hey, please, next time, just call me in my office. All right? Uh, call me in my office phone. Uh, and I was like, I just felt different. And so then I, and I left there. And I was like, everything is solved. And I got into my vehicle. And I drove home. I was like, wait a minute. What if I actually have to talk to those people? I was like, what, what? I'm like, I don't, I, don't, I don't know what I'd really say if I was going to talk to those people. Here I am sitting in this seat and I just feel like oh, this, this wealth of whatever, this power of, and it's not, believe me, John Edelman is not like that, just in case you misinterpret this in any possible way. I felt like this, like this thing of like, wow, you know, this is what I would be if I, if I could or if I had. What is that? You know, why does that happen? I was like, what am I going to say if I really have to confront these situations? Well, Jesus simply taught and modeled something completely opposite than what we see all the time. He was saying, power is not for the powerful. It's not for their benefit. 
If you have influence, it's not for the benefit of, those, of the, the person who's influential. If you have wealth, it's not for just for your benefit. William Wallace said this. Uh, I need the quote up there because, uh, oh, there it is. He says, you think, he was talking to the nobles. It's a famous line. I won't try the accent. But he says, you think the people of this country exist to provide you with position. He says, but I think your position exists to provide those people with freedom. And I go to make sure that they have it. So, so often, this is, this is the opposite, where it's like, listen, you think that you've got you know, money, and you've got influence, and you've got authority just for you. He's like, that's not what it's for. All of those things are simply tests. They were tests for Jesus, and they're tests for us. How will we use what's in our hands? How will we handle the authority, the influence that we're given? Will we use it well for others and prove that we can be trusted with more? Some of us don't even realize we're taking those tests. They're like, I'd like to, where do you sign up to take the test for handling money? I would like to have that test. Give me more money and I will prove that I can use it well. But what most of us don't realize is we are those people. Most of the world would look at us and say, you guys are the filthiest, richest Dutch people and others in the world. We're in the top few percent, but not in our country. We're like, well, there's richer people than us. But most of the world thinks that you are super, super rich, that I'm super, super rich. What are we doing with that? How am I doing with that test? Am I really following Jesus? Really? It gets a little bit difficult when it starts messing with us. See, we admire people, the ones who uh, actually use their power and influence and wealth for others. Those are the people we think are great. You know, that's why, there's a, that's why we even know the story of William Wallace Anybody heard of Mother Teresa? <laughs> Ever wonder why? She lived out a life like this, and we don't, we don't always realize it. I, I was, as I was preparing for this, I was really inspired by the fact that I know people, many of, many of you, that are like this. And it was like, that's just, it was incredible to me. Uh, there's a couple from our church that a while ago, they took a financial course, and they had said, hey, you should start saving up some money, put it in an envelope, start saving it up to buy something down the road. And like, wow, saving, huh? That's a new idea. But they started saving, and they started putting money in an envelope, and their challenge was get to $1,000, so you have like an emergency fund. And so they got to $1,000, and, and then they came and said to me, Mark, hey, we want to give you this $1,000. I know it's our emergency fund, but we just really felt like we'd like to give it to someone else who, uh, who's really in need. And I'm like, I'm really in need? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I, I, I was like, why don't you give it? Why don't you go and give it to somebody? And they're like, because we just feel like that God put on our heart to give it away. We don't want recognition. We don't want anybody to know it was us. Just, just give it away. And I remember when I went and handed that money to somebody, do you realize $1,000 can change your week? For some, it changes your month. For some, it changes a lot more. Those people, when I handed them this money and said, I can't tell you where it's from, but you get to have it, they were just so grateful. And I got to enjoy all the benefits of it. They were like, wow, you're the best. I'm like, just a delivery boy. I know, but you're the best. I don't, just, you can pass that thanks on. And it was like, they didn't want to be thanked. I'll take it all. You know, like, it was whatever. It's like, I get to experience this incredible joy. I've had it at Christmas. There's a fellow that I know, he comes every Christmas and says to me, Mark, here's a check, and he, big checks. And he writes and says, go give somebody Christmas who couldn't have it otherwise. I'm like, why don't you go do that? He's like, because I don't want anybody to know it's me. Just go do that. And I go, and there's times where these kids run up to me and just hug my legs, and they're like, thank you, thank you, thank you for the presents they got. I'm like, why doesn't he want to do that? Why, why wouldn't he want to experience that? He's like, no, that's not what I, I don't need that. 
There's a woman in our church who bakes things and cooks things, and she gets me to deliver them all the time. She's like one of the most amazing people in the world. She's about this tall, blonde. I'm not allowed to say her name, but she lives in my house. Um, <laughs> she, uh, she, <laughs> she gives away my pies to you, you <laughs> and she makes me deliver them. Uh, but the, the gratitude that comes as a result, I'm like, why wouldn't you want to go into I don't need that. I'm like, man, that's inspiring to me because I feel like I'm so far away from that most of the time that I feel like that's part of the thing that messes with me that so often uh, I, I miss that part of, of realizing that, you know what, it, it was, it's not Jesus' idea. It wasn't his kingdom. When, and he, he would go on to say things like this. You want to be great? Well, then be the servant of other people. He'd ask the disciples, hey, you want to be rich? And they'd be like, yeah. He's like, okay, give to the poor. Be rich in good works. And they're like, we don't want that kind of rich. You know, he's like, do you want to be important? Yeah, okay, become like a child. Huh? Like, this is all upside down. This doesn't make sense to me. If Jesus had consultants, kingdom consultants, they'd probably say, Jesus, your kingdom idea, this is not going to work. You know, what kind of king lays down his life for his subjects? We sang this morning, what other king leaves his throne? The Roman king doesn't do that, and that's why he's still the king. You know, who does, this is not going to work. This is not going to work. As we come back to the very last part, the last temptation, the third one that Jesus faced, this really may have been the main event. This may have been the whole reason why this was written down. Matthew chapter 4, verse 8 to 10. We'll close with this one. It says, Next the devil took him to the peak of a very high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. Saying, Jesus, here's what you came for, isn't it? You came to start a new kingdom. Here, why don't, here, here they all are. Here's all the kingdoms. Here's all their glory. He says, I'm going to give it to you. I'll give it to you, he said, if you'll just kneel down and worship me. If you'll just use your worship for your benefit. If you'll just use your worship for your benefit. And Jesus simply said to him, Satan, get out of here. For the scriptures say, you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil went away and angels came and took care of Jesus. You know, I'll... I'll <laughs> Why don't you leverage your power for your good? Why don't you leverage God for your benefit? Why don't you leverage your worship for your benefit? He wasn't successful, but I think sometimes he's successful. (laughs) I think sometimes he's good at doing that to us. You know, he's... uh, (laughs) You ever think about how many of the songs you hear, worship songs that are all about us? This is who I am. This is what I'll do. This is me, you know. It's crazy how many are written right now that are just all about us. And we kind of use worship songs based on like, well, I'll sing if it makes me feel good. You know, I'll join along if it's, if it's the songs that I like. And we just, it just becomes about us. We just use it for our benefit. Maybe you don't, but sometimes I do. What is that? It's those temptations that kept tempting Jesus throughout his life and kept tempting Tempting to us as well. Luke chapter 4, verse 13, it says, When the devil finished tempting Jesus, he left until there was another opportunity. You know, and he never gave up. Even to the night of Jesus' death, there was always that temptation to say, I'm going to go back to the old kingdoms, the kingdoms of this world. I'll do it the way the kingdoms of this world do it. And Jesus kept saying, no, it's not for me. Later on, it's really kind of interesting, quick note, Jesus went after that to a wedding, and he turned water into wine. I think kind of despite the devil. I, mean, I didn't turn, I didn't turn um, stones into bread, but he turns water into wine, but he didn't do it for himself. He did it to honor the host. He did it for others, and he did it because his mama told him to. I think that's maybe the whole message, you know? Say yes to your mama, say no to the devil. 
Amen, right? I mean, honestly, how many of you would have been better off in life if you had said yes to your mama every once in a while and said, okay. <laughs> Closing up. You, Jesus, when he came, you know, the devil kept tempting him, do this for your benefit, for you. Do this, use what you have just for you. And he said, I, you know, he didn't come to take over. I didn't come to take over. I came to take away the sins of the world. And he began inviting people to follow him. People like me, people like you to actually come follow him and be a part of an upside-down kingdom, one that looks very different than everything else around them. And it took his disciples and us sometimes a real long time to figure that out. They would argue about, huh, hey, we're with Jesus. He's becoming famous. He's going to be the king, which means we're going to be the lords. We're going to be the ones who are important. And they would argue about who is number one, who is number two. And I love that they write about that in the Bible. It's one of the things I think is just really incredible. It makes it that much more authentic, that they write about all their negative things too. And Mark actually writes about it and says in Mark 10, so Jesus called them together, the disciples who were arguing about who gets to be great. And he said this, he says, you, you know, you know that the rulers of this world, he says, you know that they lord, it, uh, uh, they lord that over people. And they're like, yeah, we know that. That's what we can't wait for. He's like, yeah, and the, and the officials, they flaunt their authority. He's like, yeah, we can't wait. We were just fishermen, and now we're going to be, like, important. We can't wait. And then he says in verse 43, but among you, it's going to be different. Not so with you guys. What? Not so. You here arguing about who's going to be number one? That's not what this is about. It never has been. From the moment I went through the temptations till now, this thing is not looking like anything else. Whoever wants to be a leader among you, become the servant. Well, I don't really want to do that. Whoever wants to be first... I want you to be the slave. Well, that's difficult. I thought following Jesus was going to be easy. No. He keeps calling us to difficult things. And he says, for even, and he says, but I'm not calling you to come do something that I'm not prepared to do myself. It says in the last verse, for even the Son of Man, even myself, he says, I didn't come to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus valued something more than the kingdoms of this world. He valued something more than wealth, than influence, than power. The things that people are so hungry for. He valued something more than that. And he chose, tempt, he chose suffering rather than just instantly getting the kingdoms of this world. Why did he do that? What hung in the balance in that moment where Jesus was being tempted to just say, I'll just take the kingdoms of this world. I'll just take the wealth. I'll take the glory. I'll take the crowds. I'll take the popularity. I'll just take that. What hung in the balance? You. Me. We were the ones who hung in the balance of that, of that decision, of that moment. And those temptations of wealth and power, authority, things we're all still striving for, those temptations are still, they still exist today. And guess what? The same thing still hangs in the balance. You and me. When we face those temptations to live our lives just for us, just all about me, what can I do, what can I get? Jesus said it this way. Matthew chapter 16, last verse. He says, you know, you, he says, come follow me. Take up your cross. Come follow me. Don't just live just for you, 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 and what you can get and what you can do. He said, I want you to come follow me. And yeah, it's kind of difficult. But he says, but what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? He's saying, listen, you can chase that down. And maybe you're going to make a whole lot more money. Maybe you're going to become the most important and influential person in your, in your uh, in, in sphere of influence. You know, maybe you're going to achieve that. But, but he says, in the end, if that's all you live for, then, that, then you is all you have in the end. And he says, and you don't even have that. He says, you lose you. 
How many times have we seen it? Why do powerful people go off the rails and lose everything they worked so hard for? Why do people like, I got to work so hard for this, lose their marriages or lose their relationships with their kids? And Jesus is saying, listen, that temptation is not just his. It's for each and every single one of us each and every single day. And he says, you want to follow me? It looks different following me. I want to use whatever you've put in my hand for others first. God, I want to use the gifts that you've given me for others first. I want to use the influence I have for the benefit of others. Man, that's tough. But am I following Jesus really? That's a question I want to leave you with, and I hope it's in your mind as you go through this week. Am I following Jesus really? Am I pursuing the kingdoms of this world, or am I seeking his kingdom first? Am I following him really? Some of you are like, oh, man, I don't know, Mark, that doesn't sound like real good like incentive for anybody new to follow Jesus. That's good enough incentive for anybody new to follow Jesus, that he gave his life for you, that he loves you, that he only cares about your good. And he's calling you to say, hey, come follow me. The, the rest of it, it's a lie. Man, it sounds cool and sounds great, but it's a lie. In the end, you're left with nothing. And what would you give? What would you give to get you back, to get your soul back? You'd probably give it all. You would probably give it all. I don't preach this this morning because I've achieved it. Man, I'm still like a work in progress. I think someone called it last night. Still on that way. But maybe this week as you leave, you're not leaving God in this building. That is Holy Spirit's with you. He prompts you with things. So you take those moments to follow his prompting, to live out your faith, to live out Christianity, which is me following Jesus. And we'll pick this up again next week. Let's pray. Father, thank you for, thank you for your word. As difficult as it is sometimes with our behavior and our attitudes, I'm still grateful for it. Still grateful for it. God, thanks for this moment this morning where we had a chance to set our eyes on you, to just sing those words that it's all about you and that there's no one like you. We meant those, Lord. As we leave this place, may those ring true in our heart. That there would be uh, no one like you tomorrow. That, we, uh, that, that, that every beat would be calling out your name as we walk through this week. Father, these people are all going to go through different things. You already, you're already there. You already know what they're about to face. Father, I pray that uh, they'd be just so aware of the fact that they're not alone, but you're with them. God, help us to follow you. Help us to follow you, I pray this week. And as a result, I pray that people see you, see your goodness, and in turn decide to follow you as well. It's in your name I pray. Amen.